You've no idea how excited Rebecca Davis is about the news. I didn't know you harbored such passion for two-wheel racing, Rebecca. And, John, I've got a fact for you. I'm going to be so disappointed if you already know it. Did you know that coronavirus is a perfect anagram of which word? You don't know. Carnivorous. (laughs) Carnivorous is a perfect anagram of coronavirus. I'm not sure where we go after that. (laughs) Isn't that great? Yeah, it's not Mm, great, but it's... sorry, it's not. It's linguistically neat. It is. It's very neat indeed. What are we talking about? Zondo. Zondo, Zondo. You're very musical this afternoon. (laughs) Zondo. Zondo. Zondo has been given an extension till the end of the year. And coincidentally, I mean, till March actually next year, and coincidentally or not, has suddenly announced they'll be having a small break till March 13th to move offices, which I think might be a bit suspicious. I'm having visions of him kicking back on a beach, reassured by all those extra months he has. Anyway, at the moment, today and yesterday, we're dealing with what I personally think, John, is hands down the scariest part of state capture, which is law enforcement agencies, the ways in which, for instance, prosecutors were asked to sign indictments to have people charged with various offenses without even seeing whether there was evidence to charge them with crimes. I mean, the idea that that police, judges, prosecutors could be captured in that way, I think is truly chilling because it potentially affects all of us. But that's not what I'm talking about. What I wanted to talk about what was, was what was on the Zondo Commission agenda before that, which was to do with multi-choice. And, John, I've noticed this phenomenon whereby people who are perfectly happy to believe that the Guptas are corrupt, that ANC leaders are corrupt, that ministers are corrupt, somehow seem to find it very, very hard to believe that big private sector companies in this country may have behaved at best unethically and at worst corruptly. And it drives me bananas. It really, really does. Because we now have this vast swathe of evidence pointing to the fact that state capture was aided and abetted at every stage by private sector companies with enablers, individual people in government. But those private sector companies were absolutely key to what was happening. So in the case of multi-choice, for instance, there is no denying the fact that multi-choice paid the Gupta family via ANN7, at least 25 million rand in an, un- in an unexplained payment. We know that the Guptas obviously were close to Pet Mutambi and to President Zuma and that multi-choice were lobbying at that stage to get government policy to go in the direction they wanted on digital migration. So it's not hard to put those dots together. We also know that multi-choice's head of, what was it, regulatory affairs, Clarissa Mack, literally drafted a cabinet memo sent it to Faith Mutambi, who sent it to the Guptas. So there is real evidence of what at best one can call unethical practice. And I was staggered to see what I think, frankly, is the breathtakingly arrogant response of NASPAS, of which at the time was still the holding company of MultiChoice, yesterday saying, we reviewed what's been said at the Zondo Commission, and actually we don't have a case to answer because no one suggested we did anything illegal. So that's all. That's all fine. I mean... 
Uh, yeah, I mean, if if uh, Deputy Chief Justice Zonda is going to use his subpoena powers for Jacob Zuma, he should use them for Kurs Becker as well. Absolutely, since Kurs Becker has been personally named by the former communications minister, Yunus Karim, as being very much personally involved in the lobbying of government, in the bullying of various other companies to ensure that government policy on digital migration was stopped. And it's not okay. And on the other incident in the last few weeks, which really has just angered me again is the fact that the Auditor General takes over the auditing of SAA. Private firms Nkonki and PwC have been auditing the SABC for four years. For four years they have given clean audits. Auditor General takes over in 2017 or 2016 and finds shambles, utter shambles, including the procurement of these auditing firms themselves as being irregular procurement. Another example you know, these, these state capture incidents don't just happen. They are enabled by the private sector. And that is something that as much as we talk about rooting out the NC and so forth, we also really have to look at that sector. I had a conversation recently with somebody who's involved in the architectural finishes business, shall, mm. we, shall we say, and was telling me about work done on the headquarters of one of these firms, which has been implicated in state capture, mm. and was doing a particular finish across the entire building, several stores, every, you know, this finish mm. was everywhere. Mm. And this finish cost 9,000 rand a square meter. <whistles> now, when you are doing an entire building, in a finish which costs 9,000 rand a square meter, that's a lot of square meters. So that's a lot of multiples of 9,000 rand mm-hmm. that you need. Yes, so indeed. there are incentives. There are. <laughs> you need a lot of money. That's an insane amount. To have an office in style. Anyway, um, thank you very much for introducing me to something of which I was not aware and saving me from humiliation through a potential rapid-fire question. Mm. Until this morning, I had no idea that something called the Tiffany effect is existed. The Tiffany effect, also known as the Tiffany problem, which effectively refers to the belief that something is a more modern phenomenon than it really is. And it's called that because of the name Tiffany. Now, John, when you hear the name Tiffany, the girl's name, woman's name, what do you think? What comes to mind? What kind of a person? I'm Audrey Hepburn, you know. Right, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Yeah. Or perhaps you think of the, is it 80s pop singer Tiffany? I think we're alone. We have now. two Tiffany's who walk, work, work on the floor down there, and so I think of them. There we go. You think of modern people. If you were to be writing a historical novel set in the 14th century and you were to shove in a character called Tiffany, people would say, John, that is a wrenching anachronism. Nobody called Tiffany was running around the moors in the 14th century. Well, that's where you'd be wrong. Tiffany is actually a name that has been around since 1200 AD, originally from the Greek Theophania, I think. And this encapsulates this thing, that there are a lot of phenomenons, names, words, etc., that we think are really, really modern, which actually have been around for ages. Let us take a magnificent traffic correspondent, Charlene LaRue. Charlene, again, is a name that seems... Very modern. I think of a character in Neighbours from the 80s, for instance. That was a Charlene. Yeah, I, 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 would, I would be prepared to go back in history to kind of 19th century because Charlene and Charlotte are not that far that, well, from each correct. other. Well, that's correct. It is indeed late 19th century, ah. which I, th- I thought it would have been a much more kind of, mi- I don't know, mid, mid-20th century phenomenon, but it's not. You have an ancient name, Charlene, possibly, positively. Shane, Shane and Wade, these other kind of soapy, Kylie-type names yeah. also go back to the Middle Ages. And it's not just about names. Did you know that 
there was a scene which was supposed to be included in the original story of Gladiator, the movie, which would have seen the eponymous Gladiator, R- Russell Crowe's character, become the face of an olive oil brand in the movie. And everyone said, oh, no one will believe that. But it actually happened in ancient Rome. Famous gladiators did advertise olive oil on billboards. Again, something that seems so profoundly modern. Been around for ages. Another example, <laughs> Roman maps included travel times and had star ratings for hostels and hotels along the way, like Waze or like Yelp or even a form of TripAdvisor. Nipple rings, big in the Victorian times, not at all a modern phenomenon. Central heating, introduced by the ancient Greeks. So there we have it, Don. A lot of things that we There assume. is nothing new under the sun. That's b- better summed up, perhaps, than I would have, yes. Should we be allowed to drink on aeroplanes at all? There's been a spate of recent incidents involving drunkenness on planes, of which my favorite was a plane bound for Iceland had to make an emergency landing in Edinburgh after an inebriated man tried to eat his phone. I have a lot of questions about this, John. (laughs) Um, Mostly, why would that necessitate diverting the plane? Let the man eat Eat his his phone. phone, By all means, that doesn't seem to present problems. He might well then block up the lavatory. That's true. That is true. But that's the only concern. Um, But it has begged the question, you know, why do we even let people drink on planes when it seems to produce quite regularly these newsworthy, eye-popping incidents of misbehavior? My question, though, is not even about that. It's about drinking at airports because it always blows my mind how airports are the only social context I can think of where it is completely acceptable to be tucking into a pint of beer at literally 9am. There's something about entering through those automatic doors of an airport that automatically allow you to drink alcohol in a way that anywhere else would get you immediately diagnosed as a full-blown alcoholic. Airport equals unbridled alcohol consumption at all times. I think we should do more about making alcohol in airports prohibitively expensive because it's also when people have a mild buzz on from the airport bar and then have to enter the plane that I imagine things get worse. And and then apparently, I'm reading through the story that prompted this part of our conversation, uh, people take duty-free booze on board with them and get off with an empty bottle. Another problem, which they are increasingly cracking down on. The worst flight I've ever been on this regard was a flight to Ibiza, the notorious party island in Spain, where a group of young British men behind me, the, the, the seatbelt light went off. They said, belts off, trousers down, gents, and the drinking began. (laughs) (laughs) She's still recovering. Speaks with her therapist about it regularly. Rebecca Davis, thank you so much.